0: Welcome to City Talks, a monthly podcast looking at the big issues facing UK cities and the latest thinking in urban policy. I'm your host, Andrew Carter, from the Think Tank Centre for Cities. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of City Minutes. I'm Andrew Carter, and today I'm joined by Chris Byrne, the Yorkshire Post political editor, to talk about the recent South Yorkshire Metro Mayor election, which saw the Labour candidate Oliver Copard win in the second round. Welcome, Chris. Hiya, how are you? Very good, very good. So, what were your, what's your sort of general reflections on um, the campaign in general? And then, you know, what, what was, what's your reason as to why Labour, why Labour won?
1: Well, um, it's quite simple, really. South Yorkshire is a Labour stronghold, and if they hadn't won, it would have been an absolutely massive, massive shock. I think, obviously, none of the candidates would say that. Sort of outright, uh, including Oliver Coppard, particularly probably, particularly Oliver Coppard going into it, that it was uh, not quite a done deal, but you know, people knew the direction it was going to go. But for Labour to win, I think it's fair to say is not a surprise. Um, In terms of kind of the campaign, uh, Oliver Coppard, I think, was chosen around January time by Labour after quite an intensive selection process. I think the only party to kind of announce before Oliver, uh, before Labour rather, was uh, the Yorkshire party who put forward a chap called Simon Biltcliffe. Um, and I mean, obviously, in terms of the campaign, Labour have greater ground resources than, than everyone else and they also had the expectation they were going to win. So other people, you know, they were trying their best, I'd say, but, you know, the momentum was always going to be with Labour. Um and that is kind of how it how it panned out i think one interesting thing about kind of oliver coppard and this particular vote is obviously south yorkshire mayor is now one of the sort of most prominent political positions across the whole of the north of england arguably in the country oliver coppard has not held sort of elected office before he's been very involved in local politics um but he's not held elected office before Um, and one one interesting thing with this particular election is kind of none of the other candidates maybe with the exception of joe otten who was liberal democrat and sheffield councillor none of the other candidates had also had that kind of elected office experience he couldn't really be criticized for that by the other candidates because they were all in the same boat and you know made the arguments of business experience private sector experience etc etc but it was it was it was kind of it was an interesting campaign, but it, I think it's fair to say the result was not a surprise. Is there anything we should make of that, Chris, that, you know, the sense that all of the candidates
0: uh, didn't have you know, elected office rep- experience? Obviously, Dan, as the, you know, he, he did have, I mean, he still does have in the sense he was the MP before and he was the MP during and he's the MP afterwards. But is there anything we should we should make of that?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because obviously Dan Jarvis, like you say, was a prominent MP, is still a prominent MP. Yeah. If you look at Tracy Brabin, she was yeah. an MP. If you look at Andy Burnham, he was a particularly prominent MP. And so kind of the, the change there, it is different. But one thing I would say about Oliver Coppard is that he is very well respected in Labour circles. He ran against Clegg in 2015 and kind of Massively, massively reduced his majority yeah. in Sheffield Hallam, and Labour have now held that seat since since sort of 2017. So it's not like he's a complete unknown fact, but it is just is a bit different. Yeah. And he himself has kind of said there will be a bit of a learning curve to it. He obviously has a sort of experience working behind the scenes in politics, but it's different being the front man, obviously yeah, of, of, of kind of a massive, massive area of the country. I would say as well. The Conservatives chose Clive Watkinson, who's like a local businessman, um, successful local businessman. It, wa- it wasn't like he was going up against, I don't know, like a Justin Greening or someone like that, who's got big weighty political experience. He was kind of, it was evened out by all of the candidates were almost kind of on the same level, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you you said about, you know, that the, the election was Labour's to, to lose. But I wonder whether, you know, does that mean that the sort of Red Wall effect or the, you know, the, the Johnson effect or the, doesn't really play out in, in South
1: Yorkshire? Because that's not quite right, is it? So the Johnson effect did play out in South Yorkshire, in, uh, in Rotherham, in Doncaster seats that had been Labour. And in some cases, had been Labour seats for generations and actually on the outskirts of Sheffield, in Stockbridge, and Pendleton, had been Labour, went Tory. In 2019 yeah. uh, and I think maybe if we were in a different part of the political cycle and maybe if party gate wasn't such a kind of all-consuming issue over the last few months um which has obviously affected Boris Johnson's personality uh, popularity rather you might have seen a slightly different campaign from the Conservatives to the best of my knowledge there were no kind of political big hitters coming up to support the Clive Watkinson campaign you didn't have Boris on the doorstep with him and they chose him quite late in the cycle as well. Yeah. And all of that, to me, kind of indicates that they weren't particularly confident they were going to win it. Um, and they kind of just let it take its course. Uh, maybe that's being a bit unfair on Clive. But um, do you know what I mean? It, was, it wasn't it was like the Tories were throwing loads of resources at it and getting Boris up there to to meet people. Because, no. as you rightly say, certainly in 2019, there has been a move towards people voting conservative who didn't vote conservative in South Yorkshire but that in this election hasn't really played out I mean I think uh Oliver Coppard's vote share was slightly down in, in the first round on what Dan Jarvis got but they were both over 40 percent and then they yeah. both won sort of convincingly in the second round of voting
0: and just on that um turnout was slightly higher this time than than the first time is that right Chris I mean, is anything again what, what's your kind of reflection on? On that, we'd always always like it to be higher, right? But I mean, it didn't go down. But what's your reflection on that in terms of, you know, the general appetite for, you know, for the mayor and the mayoral
1: position? So I think one of the things is when Dan Jarvis was elected in 2018, the mayoral role was this quite amorphous, ambiguous thing, particularly in South Yorkshire, because there was no powers agreed. It was also called the Sheffield City Region. It was, yeah. And it was kind of like, well, what's he actually going to be doing because he's got no powers, or he or whoever won the election, what are they are going to be doing? Yeah. And it was quite – I mean, even Dan Jarvis himself at the time said my pitch is quite complicated because he was saying we want to get an initial devolution done and then push on maybe for, for one Yorkshire. You, you know, it's not exactly get Brexit done – do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but this time, you've got it's called the South Yorkshire Mayor, so it's clearer to people what it's about. And there's been a few years of Dan Jarvis being quite a prominent political figure, and the new mayor is kind of controlling sort of hundreds of millions of pounds um, for transport and things like that. So, all of that kind of, I mean, I'm not saying like everyone in South Yorkshire was utterly gripped by this uh, mayoral election, but. In terms of kind of the vote going up, it's clearer what the mayor's role is, and it's clearer how it can change things in South Yorkshire. I guess, or so I, I imagine that may have kind of helped a bit.
0: Yeah, and interested to get your thoughts on you know what the Dan Jarvis sort of term and what you thought about that. And obviously, one of the things that happened during his term, as you say, was the name change from Sheffield City Region to South Yorkshire. So start there. I mean, I'd be interested in your thought. Of-
1: you know, why that came about? I, I, that came about, I think it was last year, so kind of getting towards yeah. the end of Van Jarvis's turn. And I know it's only a small thing, but I actually think it was one of the best things that could have happened. I really genuinely do, because the Sheffield City region was kind of this... There was a, there was all sorts of political complications with it, because initially Sheffield City devolution dealers, as envisaged, also involved some, like, north east derbyshire councils it was all sorts of complications to it and like the name itself sheffield city region i was going to say implies but it it says explicitly that barnsley rotherham and doncaster uh, are basically satellites of sheffield yeah uh, and a secondary to sheffield which i mean obviously dan jarvis is and was a, a Barnsley MP. PMP, yeah. It yeah. doesn't look great. No. And and I also think people like struggled to get their head around like, is he in charge of Sheffield? Is he what, what is he in charge of here? And Leeds kind of went through the same thing. And but before Tracy Braben became the mayor, yes. they decided they were going to call it West Yorkshire rather than Leeds City region. And I, I can't say I'm privy to any of kind of how it all came about the South Yorkshire name. But for me, I, I know it's kind of cosmetic, but it it works. And it's, it's literally as simple as, like, if you'd have asked me, oh, can you tell me about the Sheffield City Region mayor in 2018? We'd have had to spend, like, five minutes, not five minutes, but it takes a while to actually explain, oh, Sheffield City Region is this, that, and the other. Yeah. Whereas if you say he's the mayor of South Yorkshire, it's as simple as that, isn't it? So I actually think that was a really sensible step.
0: Yeah. So, um,
1: give me your sort of
0: scorecard on you know on the on the outgoing uh, mayor. I mean, you know, Dan's time, as you said, you know, it was almost he became mayor without really having infrastructure around him, without having a deal to implement, without having money to implement. So, you know, quite a different circum- set of circumstances to most of the other, if not all of the other mayors that had been elected at various points. Yeah, for him. But just you know, w- w- what do we take away from his from his term?
1: So uh, I I actually looked back last night because I knew I was doing this kind of uh, his manifesto and it kind of, it triggered a lot of like thinking back to to what it was like when he was elected. Um, And I think it's fair to kind of, if you roll back the clock to 2018, so what had happened, what uh, basically a devolution deal had been kind of put forward by George Osborne, I think around 2015. And effectively it had kind of just got gummed up by what was becoming kind of this increasingly bitter row between these Labour-led authorities in South Yorkshire. Um, And part of that was basically uh, Barnsley and Doncaster supported one Yorkshire devolution deal for the whole of Yorkshire and Sheffield and Rotherham didn't. There was also the additional complication of, they'd all been kind of at each other's throats over HS2 and where HS2 should go through South Yorkshire. You know, should it go to Sheffield City Centre? Should it go to Meadow Hall? And they ultimately probably ended up with the worst of all worlds, which is it runs through, well, it was going to before it got cancelled. It runs It <laughs> yeah. runs through South Yorkshire with zero stops on the way yeah. to Leeds. So there was, obviously that hadn't happened, I don't think, in twenty by that point in 2018. No. But he was coming into. to quite a, a challenging political situation. The other, so the other thing was that Dan Jarvis himself was a supporter of One Yorkshire and that his his manifesto was quite explicit that his plan was get the initial devolution deal, then we want to push on with One Yorkshire. So in, I think it was sort of mid-2020, they finally managed to hammer out kind of a form of words and a way of actually getting the powers for the mayor, that was kind of the main work of the first two years, Yeah, getting everyone to agree something. Um, and I think on that, you've got to say, well done, because it had, to, it had to be done and it was not easy in the circumstances. On kind of the one Yorkshire question, yeah. I would say that certainly kind of in the short to medium term, I think that's, I think it's fair to say, this is just my interpretation, it's been overtaken by events to a certain extent. Yeah. So you've now got a West Yorkshire mayor. In a couple of years, we might have a North Yorkshire mayor. East Yorkshire, East Riding and Hull are talking about a devolution deal, but they don't want a mayor. And also, if you did push ahead with one Yorkshire, which mayor is going to step down? Do you know what I mean? To be the Labour <laughs> candidate. Um, yeah. There's all sorts of questions, and it's all gone quite quiet. It's notable that Oliver Coppard's uh, manifesto or plan—I think he called it a plan rather than manifesto—didn't mention one Yorkshire and no. didn't mention expanding out one York you know—the devolution deal. It's all about kind of more powers for South Yorkshire and making the most of the South Yorkshire yeah. devolution settlement yeah. and making more of it rather.
0: And what's your sense, Chris? of you know, are there legacy effects of you know the origins of? the Mayoralty and you know Dan coming into post. I mean, are the legacy effects then for Oliver as he sort of settles into the position? You know, is there an ongoing reluctance or you know an unwillingness of the four to play together? I mean, how, how do you think that's going to play out?
1: I think probably that's one of the successes, I would say, of Dan one of the probably one of the great successes actually of Dan Jarvis's time in charge is that <laughs> obviously it's politics. I'm sure lots is happening behind the scenes where people may not be agreeing with each other all the time about everything and kind of the way forward on things. And I mean, we've seen publicly Rotherham Council, for example, was really happy HS2 got cancelled because it ran through their area and they felt there was no immediate benefit, whereas Sheffield, not so much. But generally, the kind of squabbles that were coming to the surface quite a lot, kind of 2016 to 2018, aren't happening now, and there's more of a united front so I think, I mean, so much has happened, right? Like with COVID and yeah, yeah. all sorts, that to a certain extent, people do pull together. But I think, certainly from an outsider perspective, looking in and kind of their public position on things, there seems to be more unity. I, I okay. would definitely That's say that. Um, and obviously, it's early
0: days. I mean, literally early days. You know, he's only elected a few days uh, ago. Do we do we have a sense yet as to you know what sort of his big ticket things are going to be? I mean, you know, what what do we think his his term is going to be organized around? Obviously, there'll be lots of things that pull him in lots of different directions and things that emerge. But at this point in time, what do we think he's going to he's going to emphasize or or really prioritize?
1: So I think the big one people will be watching out for is bus franchising. Um, it's something that he's said that he's looking to do. Uh, obviously, Greater Manchester Andy Burnham is kind of. Greater Manchester's further down the track. They've been through the legal battles that yeah. make the path easier to do it in yeah. other places. So West Yorkshire is considering it. I think South Yorkshire has already been considering it. Obviously haven't got there yet. So, And obviously one of the key powers for Mays is, is transport. Yeah. So I think that's one that people will be looking quite closely at, what he does around that and whether he can make progress on that. He may or may not have seen, like, Monday was his first day in the job, and he's written to Boris Johnson to kind of partly set out his own stall, but partly talk about what he wants to do kind of with powers and things like that. And and one of the things he said, quite interestingly, and probably quite similarly, actually, to, to Dan Jarvis's approach as well, is to say, we think, or I, Oliver Coppard, think, Uh, levelling up is a laudable idea the ambitions and levelling up white paper uh, are really positive in lots of ways but the reality on the ground means that to get to get to where you say you want to get to by 2030 which is the government's kind of timeline for a lot of these these missions they've announced is incredibly challenging in South Yorkshire uh, compared to other places so I think levelling up stuff is really interesting with all the mayors because it's like they all want it to happen, but them and the government both want to claim credit for the good stuff and kind yes. of be like, oh, the, the bad stuff's down to the other guy. Um, but I mean, obviously I think a lot of it will be judged on kind of what he can do on that, how much you can move the government on that. And it is a tricky one because obviously the government want to claim credit for good stuff too. So it's it's a funny one, but his position on that has basically been, we need to work together to make this happen as best we can. But basically, like w- the ambitions you've set uh, are so tricky that I'm going to need, you know, more powers, more money to to make it happen at a local level. I mean, obviously you would expect a mayor to say that, but yeah. um that that he has kind of set out his stall quite early. Well, I was gonna
0: know. say that's the interesting thing in some respects, isn't it? That he set his stall out, you know, that early um in his, you know, in his um in his term and yeah, and also reminds us that you know the relationship between the mayor or, and and the mayors and government, you know, kind of figuring that out, and that that is likely to evolve and change over time. Sometimes it's confrontational for you know for some reasons, other times it's collaborative for for other reasons. So you know, partly about be interesting to see how he how he manages that and the different positions he takes on different issues relative to the government.
1: Yeah, definitely, um, and. There's lots. I think, you know, he's going to have to tread his own path with that, that there's obviously different approaches. I'd say, you know, you've obviously got the Andy Burnhams, who's probably the most prominent in a way, who is happy to kind of have a bit of a pop at the government if he feels it's necessary. Um, Dan Jarvis was, I think it's fair to say, was probably a bit more of a behind the scenes guy, let's get things sorted behind the scenes rather than public statements and pushing people to do X, Y, and Z, you know, with public announcements and this and that. And I think there's merits to both. And I think one of the really interesting things for Oliver Coppard is he might not himself even know how he's going to play it yet, because obviously this is his kind of first rodeo, in a way, at being the big big political figure. Yeah.
0: And last question, Chris. I'd be be interested to get your thought more generally. Now, how is the fact that, you know, now, as you said, Yorkshire has had two prominent uh, mayors now for a while how does that then affect the way that Yorkshire Post as a kind of media institution engages with the the mayoralty and other sort of political actors can you give us a sense as to how that's sort of played out for you over the last few years
1: yeah so this is just my personal course journalistic hat on perspective on it um is I love the mayoral system because (laughs) because it gives people it humanizes politics for people because it's like oh tracy braven she's west yorkshire oh oliver coppard he's south yorkshire oh greater manchester that's andy burnham blah 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 blah. and rather than like the mayoral you know the combined authority have said this yeah which can be a bit like heavy going for for readers and for just the general public you've got a single accountable figure who's the face of a region and like ben Houchin in in the tees valley is kind of a a great example of that as well and like you might not agree with everything they do but they actually inspire people to think about it and people have an opinion on them and by extension they therefore have an opinion on devolution and local politics and i actually think it's really really positive like you know i get i get the arguments about checks and balances and everything like that yeah. um and you know, what and then on the other side of the coin do they even have enough powers to do anything but i actually think it's it's a real net positive and i think i think it's the right move from the government to push ahead with these mayors because i just think it's it kind of it humanizes devolution yes. as a process and it gives each region kind of its own champion um, and they don't have to compete with each other. Like literally like on Twitter yesterday, Oliver Carpard would say he tweeted a picture of like Tracy Brabens added him to the Northern Mayors WhatsApp group. Um, but there is a serious point to that, which is like yeah, yeah. the Northern Mayors are very collaborative. And I yeah. was asking, I did an interview with Tracy Brabin a bit ago and I can't remember Precisely what I was asking her about. I think it was about the Channel 4 privatization yeah. and the possibility that it might move out of Leeds. And I said, you know, is that going to lead to kind of more of the media interest industry being concentrated in Manchester and kind of to the northwest? And she just was like, you know, we're a united voice and I'm not going to criticize Manchester. Um they they've got they're quite close knit with kind of their approach. And they like you saw with the integrated rail plan. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So joint statements, and it made it all the more powerful that the way they kind of did that together. So it doesn't have to be kind of a, a competitive thing, but I do think each region having its own kind of really visible champion is really good.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's and I, I well, unsurprisingly, I completely agree with you, <laughs> and I also think that's a fantastic point on which to uh, finish. Uh, my guest today has been Chris Byrne. Chris, thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of City Talks brought to you by Centre for Cities. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Centre for Cities. Please rate, review and subscribe if you liked what you heard. You can also follow the centre on Twitter at Centre for Cities or like us on LinkedIn for the latest updates on what the centre is up to. If you have any comments on the episode or suggestions for topics we should cover in the future we'd love to hear from you. Do tweet us or send an email to info at centreforcities.org The music was from Palace Fires by Johnny Foreigner, used with permission and all rights are reserved.